Go Hello and welcome to the Veer Vulnerabilities Beer Podcast. I'm Adam Glinsky. And I'm Albert Imperato. Where we help men communicate and build empathy. Here we go again, Albert, another saga, you know, endeavor in our quarantine COVID craziness here. But, you know, at least for our, our side of the world, um, you know, we're out and about and, you know, uh, less mass in public, wear them in, inside. But how's uh, upstate going, man? Um, you guys are still kind of, uh, New York is kind of popping off right now. <laughs> well, I tell you, you know, we've really only had COVID as the news uh, for as many weeks as, as it is now, but leave it to the stupidity and of humanity that the thing, and especially of Americans uh, at the moment, um, that driving uh, COVID out of the news this week in America was was race. Race as the issue that uh, Americans just don't want to deal with seriously. Um, there's, there's just, um, I woke up this morning with the thoughts of, uh, James Baldwin in my mind, one of the great essayist, James Baldwin uh, had was a tremendous influence in my life. Uh, his writings in the '60s, um, especially about race relations in America, just fired me up. Wanted, made me want to be a writer, um, and and showed me about just how powerful words are, um, and made me made me realize that without a moral force in our lives, we are da- very dangerous creatures. And um, my reaction to what happened this week with, with the death of George Floyd is just a- absolute c- complete belief that the, our country needs to, to use it as a turning point, a turning point for saying zero tolerance to racism. Uh, there, if we don't say that there is zero tolerance for racism in every aspect of our society, whether if in our neighborhoods, our families, our government, in our police force, uh, if we just don't insist upon that and hold people accountable, whether it's shunning someone who's who's a racist or bringing them to justice when they're when they're a cop who is is beha- uh, behaving outside the law, if we don't take an active part in that, then we are part of the problem. Uh, letting this go back to business as usual and maybe someday there'll be some justice to come from this. No, we've had. We've had 400 years of this in our in uh, in, in this in this uh, part of the world, uh, in the entire history of our country, and it's time to deal with it now. So, if there's anything good to come from this h- horrific uh, death of George Floyd, uh, I hope it is the turning point where we say we cannot go back. Uh, that this has to be solved now. No more racism. Zero tolerance for racism. I agree, man. It's. Um I mean that that turned my week upside down. I talked to my wife about it, and it's it's hard. Um, you know, m- my best friend Ben and his girlfriend are living in New York City. They were sending me videos of the riots in New York, and just in the protests as well. And it's just going to show that, like, hey, you know, um, it, it's still out there, and we need to talk about it. And one quote that I found from Will Smith, you know, perusing the internet was racism is not getting worse. It's being filmed. So we are exposing it uh, to the world. And the one thing that, you know, I want to say about this is don't shoot the messenger. The 17 year old girl who actually took that video has been receiving hate mail and a ton of flack for exposing this. And that's just, 
the wrong answer. You know, we should be grateful that we get to see this and we understand it. It's hurtful. It, you know, made me very frustrated. It kept me up one night, just all about it. And, you know, when we attack the messenger, it, it doesn't help anyone. And I hope that going forward from here, once we get this exposed, once we have that hard conversation with a neighbor, coworker, elected official, police officer, the messenger isn't shot and the message is understood. So it's a tough time in, in our world and society. And, you know, we're here talking about it. So that's, that's what we can do. And well, I'll say on just that. one thing, um, yeah. Adam, to, to, to relate all the way that things are interrelated in our, in our lives is that we have had um, a couple of people write to us saying that just talking and hearing uh, the positive vibe of what we talk about on the show had helped them uh, dial down their own sort of uncomfortable, if not hateful feelings towards people who were different from them, that we had opened our conversation had opened them up to a more positive view of, of getting along, getting along with other people and, and bonding with people. So, it, you know, maybe in our small way, it just keep talking, talking and talking the way we're, we're doing is going to be a small, a small contribution to that positivity. So anyway, not to, yeah. uh, we, I have also, we, well, I have an idea I'm going to run by you and we're going to, we're going to have a guest who's going to come on and, and talk a little bit about this issue from a very personal point of view. We're, I'm going to be talking to him tomorrow and we'll, I'll, I'll bring you up to speed real fast on that. Sure. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's what we can do and, and we can talk about it. And speaking of, of talking about it, you know, um, our guest today, you know, really, you know, I, you know, has something to say and, and to really talk about and, um, very personal to him. And I know Albert, you, uh, let me know about, uh, Tim Tilgren, our, our guest here, but what, what are the, some things that, that, you know, kind of, uh, prompted you to, to bring him onto the show? Well, now I'm not, not sure if you guys know this, but there's a backstory. Imagine that, Ooh. um, Tim, uh, Tim and I connected early on. I started my feed, um, three years ago and I connected early on with Tim he had a, uh, his feed is called high on indigo. And, um, we just started DMing and it was pretty much around the same time that I DM'd with you, Adam and Tim just, it was great. I mean, we, he was friendly. He was a fun guy. He had a mug that I wanted. He had the high on indigo coffee mug, which I had to have. And of course I was going to use all my charm to get a free one. So I was wor working him for the free mug. And of course, as, as I was working towards that, I got to know the guy and I really like him. He's a really, really fun and, and friendly dude. And uh, same way I was getting to know you. And it turns out that you are the two first out of town dudes that I met with in New York through this denim feed. Wow. I think that it, they were like within a couple of months of each other. And uh, you two were also the first two that I realized that I would have to deal with telling my denim dude buddies that I was a gay dude. Uh, you were the first two because I felt like as I talked to both of you, it became very clear to me, although I never thought I would have to talk about it, that not talking about my personal life was going to mean I couldn't really talk to you guys about anything. So I just remember you both handled it differently. You were both welcoming and warm. I think, Adam, you used a little bit more humor. Tim was more sort of from the heart saying, you know, there's, absolutely no reason why we should, you know, f find these differences between us uh, to keep us apart in any way, whatever. But so in my mind, you guys were always linked. And so I always assumed 
you guys knew each other really, really well. So I was surprised you guys actually haven't had all that much. But you did talk. You did talk yesterday. You had a video chat yesterday. So bring me up to speed. Do you want to introduce him first and then tell me what you guys talked about yesterday? Yes, totally. Um, let me give him the official intro. And yeah, I want to dive right into that because it was a wonderful conversation. All right. Tim Tilgren is a 30-year-old dude from Sweden. He was born and raised outside of Helsingborg in the south part of Sweden called Skåne. Tim went to school in Helsingborg to become a chief cook. With four older sisters in agreement, he was the young and spoiled one. Now living in Arnborg, his wife and da- with his wife and daughter, his family is expecting a little boy in July. Tim is also fond of his 10-year-old pig pug, Zid. Tim currently works as a salesman at Input Interior, where he sells furniture to educational and professional buildings. Tim, thanks so much for making time for us today, and welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. Uh, you're very welcome. And um, thank you for calling me at like 11.30 last night. It was like we talked until your midnight. Um, just like, hey, do you want to chat? And I was like, yeah, I'm like listening to an audiobook, just relaxing. And here we go um, into the depths of everything you wanted to talk about. And I felt like we became so close in a matter of 30 minutes. You know, it, it was crazy how much we had to talk about. Um, just you were walking your dog, you know, as, as you said, <laughs> and, uh, you know, we just, you just were chatting. And then all of a sudden, you know, um, you came up to your door, my wife pops in and it's like, okay, we're going to go be with our wives now. So, um, I, I, you know, th- this is probably the most prepped I've been for <laughs> a podcast. I'd really? say, yeah, <laughs> usually right. I just kind of fly in here. I'm like, great, let's talk. And, um, you know, we, we, we had a, a lot to talk about. Um, you know, we talked about your sister, we talked about your career, uh, we talked about your parents and just so many things. So um, I don't want to, you know, drop any anything before it happens, but you have a really, really heavy story to tell. And um, you let me know that, you know, in, in Cal's episode that, that aired um, two ago that you really connected with it. And as I thought it was like a very relaxed, like upbeat, I was like, okay, this is one of the lighter ones. Like you found like, yeah, it's like, you know, being away from your parents and, you know, um, having someone that English isn't their first language and, um, you know, just really understanding the, what he went through, um, in, in part of your life, you know, helped you out. And I was like, wow, like I thought that was the happy go lucky episode and here you are taking away some really big things. So, I mean, I hope we continue these video chats because I mean, 30 minutes just amped me up on, on everything. So thank you for that. But you know, thank here's you. your, here's your time to, uh, to tell the story. And I think it's very, very worth telling. And, um, you know, I, I'm really excited to, to ask you a few things about it. So thank you. And please, the floor is yours. <laughs> uh, so yeah, as you said, I live now in the middle of Sweden. Uh, I live roughly six hours from my parents and that's like the part where i connected with cal's episode i actually wrote to him like immediately after i heard it i said okay i recognize myself in a lot of things you've been through so we've been like chatting back and forth about it uh, and he also told me his ex-girlfriend's brother also died from cancer when they were together and he said that was really rough on him and i've had like a lot of close uh, like family and friends of our family died from cancer. When I was 13 years old, uh, my 
best friend and neighbor who was one year older than me, she died from a brain tumor. Um, and that was like my first like connection with cancer. And then uh, my dad also had cancer when he, he turned 50. We were on vacation and uh, we got back home. We were at uh, a soccer, uh, uh, what do you call it? Uh, soccer tournament, because uh, I played soccer before. And he got a kidney stone and he was like, okay, I gotta go to the hospital. And they were like, yeah, you have cancer. If you would have come by three weeks later, you will no longer be with us. So, so that was like, that was really, really hard on me. I was, I think I was like 10 or 11 years old and I almost lost my dad. So that was, that was hard. Uh, but then uh, back in 2014 or 15, I, no, it, it was 15, 2015, uh, one of my sisters got pregnant. And in the same time, she had to uh, uh, put her dog to sleep. He was 10 years old. Uh, my ex-girlfriend started to see another guy behind my back. And my sister got breast cancer all in the same time. Uh, so that was super hard on me. Uh, I quit my job. I lived in Gothenburg back then, moved back home to my parents, stayed there for a while. And during this time, I started connecting with uh, Sarah, who's, not, who's now my wife. Uh, she also worked with Levi's that I used to work for before. Uh, and we started to connect like really, really good. We talked on the phone for several hours and she was like, she was like, she helped me to heal and to like take care to like take care of the situation, like living with my ex-girlfriend. And it well, it started something between us. I felt like there was so uh I mean, I don't even know how to describe it. I just felt so much for her and she was a super sweet girl and we started talking. I lived in Helsingborg, she lived up here in Alabu. So we started having like a distance relationship, uh, six hours for like six months, I think. And then she moved back to me. And, and by, by then, uh, my sister had gone through uh, surgery. So they removed her breast and uh, she had have chemo and everything. And they were like, yeah, now you're done. You're free from cancer. We were like, yeah, that's fucking good. Fuck cancer. And I was so, I remember I was so fucking happy. She called me when I was at the gym and she called me and that boosted me up. I was lifting super heavy and doing like everything. And I was like all pumped up. Um, and then 2018, we were in the US to get married because uh, Sarah, my wife, she's half American. So we decided to get married in the US in uh, just a little bit north of Los Angeles. Uh, and I have... As you mentioned, I have four older sisters, uh, but my oldest one, uh, I don't have any contact with. She broke up with the family when I was probably like four years old. So I don't know her. I've seen her a couple of times when, I'm, uh, when I've been in Helsingborg, like just on the street, but we just say, hey, and that's it. So we're still, we're still like brother and sister, but we don't know each other. And so there was only one sister that came to the wedding. That was Elsa, and I was... Back then, I was a little bit sad that my other sisters didn't make it. Um, but at at the just after the wedding uh, on our vacation, 
she started acting like really weird and we didn't understand why but when we got back home from the us she told us okay i found something in my armpit and we were like okay you got to go to the doctor so she uh, made an appointment with the doctor and they were like yeah that's a tumor and then they started like digging into it and they were like yeah you have cancer like in the kidney uh, liver lungs like everywhere and we were like okay this seems kind of dark and they were like yeah we still have good hopes for you etc etc and this was in september uh, 2018 and we were like okay yeah hopefully they'll manage something so they can like get rid of it or at least she can stay okay for a long time and it was a little bit like up and down with her disease uh, but she started taking some chemo that were pills she was she was supposed to take it like every day uh, and she got like really swollen feet uh, and she couldn't like she couldn't even walk so the doctor said okay stop taking them and then it just like escalated pretty quickly uh, so in I think it was in April she went to the hospital late April uh, and they emptied her lungs on eight liters of uh, water or fluid uh, and that's I think it's a little over two gallons uh, so she was at the hospital for a long time and we were supposed to go to a concert in Gothenburg May 5th that was our uh, wedding gift from her uh, with the yeah I don't know everybody who's seen my post about my sister uh, just a few days ago, uh, knows what I'm talking about. This Swedish artist called Daniel Nugren. Uh, so she told us, okay, when he's playing the next gig, we will go see him together. And that was May 5th. Uh, May 4th, she called me uh, and she was like, yeah, I can't come. I don't feel well. I have a high fever and I'm just laying in bed. And I was so devastated. And I was like, okay, uh, yeah, sure. I'll, I'll try to sell the, the ticket. And I just posted on my private Instagram, like anyone, anybody need a uh, ticket for the concert. And I think it took like three or four hours. Then she called me. Okay, I'm feeling a lot better. I'm coming tomorrow. And I got so, so damn happy. I was like, yes. She came up to Gothenburg uh, early morning. Uh, I met up with her. We went for lunch, uh, just me and her. And then we met up with Sarah, my wife. Uh, we went to the concert, had a really great time. Um, after that, we w took a long walk in the city during the night, I dropped her off at a hotel, and then we drove back home to Blue to because I was working the next day. Uh, and uh, she got home. Uh, she was in her apartment, I think, one day. Then she had to go to the hospital again. And this time, they emptied out like 12 liters of water from her stomach. Uh, so a little over, uh, somewhere between three, four gallons. Uh, and I talked to my mom and she was like, yeah, she will be at our place now and they will bring the nurses back to our place and here's like preparing for her to die. And I was like, what? How come? I mean, just recently they said, okay, we, we have good hopes on you. 
and then you just flip the coin like super quick and so i was like uh, okay but can i come down because i live like six hours away i don't see her that often i mean we facetime every now and then but i mean we don't see each other that often so i i felt like i want to i want to be with her and she was like yeah she's pretty weak so she said she need to rest so she can like save up energy for you guys to come and i was like okay uh just let me know as soon as i can come because i'm gonna go like the same day and then it took uh maybe two weeks uh she called me i think it was may 22nd she called me and she was like yeah she the doctor says she have around one more week to go and then she will pass away because her body's shutting down and so i talked to my boss at my work and i explained the situation and they already knew like everything because i'm pretty open-minded with it i talk talk a lot and open myself up to, at uh, at my job uh, so she was like yeah just go don't think about it we'll take care of everything just go so we drove down uh, i think this was on a friday uh, but that friday they told us okay you can come here today because she's super tired so we stayed at my sister's house and we went there on saturday and she was uh, all yellow uh, I don't know what you call that disease in English. It's a jaundice. Yeah, exactly. Because of her liver was so infected with uh, like tumors. So she was like all bony, except from a really swollen stomach from all the fluid. And she was super yellow. And that was horrible seeing her like that. Uh, and she was just laying on the couch at my parents' house. Uh, when we came, she sat up uh talked for a good 25 minutes uh we talked about like everything uh, and we, we actually my wife and i we google a lot like what should we not talk about with someone someone that's dying and they and well we found out like they don't want to hear about what's coming like what are you going to do like next year and so on so we just talked about like memories had a good laugh and just try to be as normal as possible. And it was it was a really nice conversation. And I'm really glad we went there. And then we came back uh, Sunday for a short time, had a good talk. And then before we headed home on Monday, I said, okay, I want to go there one last time. I want to give her a kiss, hug, tell her I love her. Uh, so we went there, uh, I sat down beside her, kissed her on the forehead, told her, I really love you. You're the most wonderful person I've ever met. Um, and then my wife came in uh, and my sister turned her head to my wife and she's like, okay, Sarah, I love you. You're a wonderful girl. Uh, <sighs> Sorry. Uh, yeah, you're a wonderful girl. Take care of my brother. Uh, I love you. And she burst into tears. Uh, so she just rushed out of the room and started crying. Uh, and uh, yeah, that was so beautiful to me. Uh, so I also had to leave the room. And then we left. Uh, we drove back home to Ullabu. <clears throat> so when we were... I think halfway here, uh, I, 
I, Sarah was driving to say I couldn't drive. So I said, Sarah, uh, I wouldn't be surprised if she, if she passes tomorrow, because now she like took her last energy to be with us, to say what she wanted to say to us. And the, the next day I was back at work. Uh, we first had an office meeting in the morning and then I asked my boss like, hey, can I just have a private chat with you? I just want to go through what happened this uh, weekend because I have a lot on my heart and uh, on my mind. And she was like, yeah, sure, let's sit down. So we sat down, started talking about everything. And um, I got a phone call from my dad. I just like rejected him and then 10 minutes later i got a phone call from my mom rejected that one and my boss told me maybe you should call your parents tim and i think i rejected them because i didn't want to answer because i was probably expecting what they were going to say so she left the, the little room we were sitting in and i called my dad and he asked okay Elsa, she she passed away for the minutes ago and she and he just started crying out so loud. And I've never heard my dad cry or seen him cry. So that made me really, really emotional. And there's one thing that's keep bugging my mind. Uh, like Elsa and I, we don't have the same father because both my parents have been married uh, before. Uh, but she's always been living with with my parents because her father lives up north. Um, so they were all together at my parents' house. Uh, her biology, biology, her father, my father, and uh, our mother, and Elsa. So she was laying in her bed, and they were standing around her. And uh, just before she took her last breath, she just yelled out, "Help!" And then she passed away. And that's something that's constantly on my mind. I, I spoke to my mom about it and she was like, she yelled out help. And yet I stood there helpless. I could do nothing. So yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a rough story. Uh, it's, it's been a little over a year now. Um, and it's, yeah, still makes me cry. Well, oh, couldn't it? Yeah. I think Adam Adam and I really can't really say any particular thing besides my God, uh, we just feel so deeply for you. It's a it's a incredible, powerful story. I mean, what emerges so strongly is the depth of the dedication that you had to each other. I mean, that image of your sister essentially handing you off to your future uh, your wife. I mean, in a way it was kind of like you, that moment where where they were both in the same room, it was like your sister was knowing that that Sarah was going to be doing what she used to do. She used to be looking after you, and it was like a, it was like a cosmic a cosmic handoff. Uh, that is an incredible, you know, the spirit of your sister not only lives in you and your in, the, in your family, but in a very very direct way, right there in your wife. She handed it to her. So that, that is, to me, the most powerful. I got shudders at that moment. I, I think that, that those, you know, I, I've lost a brother. I lost a brother. I you know, you and I talked about I lost my brother when I turned 40. And we were very close. We were 18 months apart. We were 
you know, almost like raised like twins. And I, that connected me with you immediately uh, as well, as well, Tim, because I remember the first time you had told me your, your sister had gotten over cancer. And then I remember we were already friends, I believe, when you yeah. told me that, she had, that you had discovered that she, that she had it. And um, there's so much to un, unpack there. I, I'm, you know, it's a year later and, um, you know, I'll, I'll let Adam talk in a moment, but just from my perspective, I just remembered the, you know, it's now 18 years for me almost since I lost my brother. And one of the, um, one of the processes that was very powerful. And now that I look back, uh, is brings some, some, uh, comfort is at the time, you know, my, all I remembered was how sick my brother was. He had, he had AIDS. My brother died of AIDS. He was so skinny. He was so, it was just terrible to watch physically what he looked like. So when you described your, your shock at seeing your sister so skinny with her, you know, uh, her discolored skin and her, uh, her belly, I just remember seeing my brother like that. My brother was very frail. He could barely walk. And me and his partner used to have to take him to the bathroom, that kind of thing. Um, and in that first year, in my mind, the images in my in my mind and uh, were uh, uh, the images of my brother as sick or dying, and each year the images changed and the dreams changed. And he visited me in my dreams, um, and each year he became a different part. Uh, in many ways, like almost like a different side of his life came to me. Uh, I would see him at different stages of his life. And over years, he became now he's become quite a funny character in my dreams. And and I, I'm just my all I could offer you as someone who lost a sibling is the thought that over time the 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 sadness gets replaced little by little by the happiest of your memories. And clearly you and your sister had a bond. I mean, I looked at your Instagram photos. I urge people to go and just see this the spread of you with your sister. She, first of all, she's so beautiful. Um, you, you just feel the emotion between you two. But all I can say is over time, I, I suspect that the happiest, most vibrant, most joyous memories will become larger and more prominent in your consciousness and your, and your unconsciousness. And that, that image of that sad image, your sister crying out for help, that will be something that will yield to just something so beautiful. I, the memories almost become like they become like superheroes. They're like she'll be Super Sarah in your in your. I mean, she was in real life, but in your dreams and in your consciousness, she'll become like a superhero. Anyway, that's my my perspective from the sibling side of things. I appreciate it. Yeah, death is is such a heavy subject, and you know, there's it's almost you know kind of like taboo to to talk about it sometimes in in our culture, but. Um, from you know my kind of uh, exploration and my interest in it um you know i found death to be a really great teacher and you know it really reveals a lot about ourselves when we think about the end and you know when you stare it in the face like like you did i mean you saw it within 24 hours, like you saw it happen. And then there is, you know, a dying process and, and you saw it. Um, but I think, you know, and, and this is kind of what, what we spoke about a little bit yesterday too, is one, once you see that and, and once you really stare death in the face, you learn some lessons about life 
and you learn a little bit about living. What kind of lessons have you learned in the last year about yourself and really the enjoyment in living life from the passing of your sister? Uh, well, uh, as I told you yesterday, uh, when my sister turned 35, she told like all of the family, she's like, okay, when I turn 40, I really want us to go to Italy. And she wasn't the kind of person that traveled a lot. Uh, so we were like, yeah, well, let's just do it. Uh, and she passed away a little over two weeks before she turned 40. So she never got to experience Italy. And that was like one of her, like, it was on her bucket list. And yeah, it was a big dream for her, but she she didn't get to do it. Uh, and I've always been quite a spontaneous guy. Uh, I I just like to, to do stuff. I like to do it spontaneously. And I don't overthink everything. Like, should I do it or should I not? Should I, should I not? I mean, it's like, okay, I feel like doing it. Let's do it. Uh, I've always been much like that. But, I mean, since she passed and knowing that she didn't get to go where she really wanted to go, that makes me like, okay, I'm going to do everything I want to do because you don't know which day is your last. So I think that's probably like the biggest lesson I've learned uh, that I take with in my everyday life. It's a great lesson to live by. Something, just... something tells me you'll be visiting Italy. Mm -hmm. Yep. Uh, actually, uh, me and Sarah talked about it. I think it was, yeah, it was yesterday. Uh, she was like, maybe we should just like, when we, when the baby gets a little bit older, maybe we should just drive down to Italy. And I was like, yeah, that, that would be great. I mean, she, Sarah has been to Italy, I think twice. I'd never been to Italy. Uh, and when uh, Osa passed, I was like, okay, I want to go visit Italy for her. Because uh, Italy never really, I don't really want to go to Italy before. But right now when she passed and she didn't get to go there, I'm just, okay, I, I, I got to go there. I got to go there for, for her sake. So we'll probably do that maybe next year if you're allowed to travel. I don't know what, what's happening in the world. <laughs> Did Ursa ever um, actually say a specific thing about Italy? Was it like a, a picture, like going to Florence, going to see the Michelangelo's David? Was there any particular it Italian image or thing? Was it more just the, 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 the people and the landscape? Any vibe of what it was about Italy that might have captured her attention? Well, I know she talked a lot about the food. She was, uh, yeah, she was vegetarian. Uh, well, I don't know what you call it, but she, she, she still had fish. She was almost like... Pescatarian, right? And then they call it a pescatarian? Yeah, maybe a pescatarian. But, I mean, since she got a cancer, she was uh, really conscious what she, would, uh, she, what she would eat. So she was looking... She didn't uh, have any white sugar, not any soy. Uh, she didn't eat any meat. Uh, she didn't eat any dairy products. So she was very specific. So when we were in the States for our wedding, we dropped her off at Whole Foods. She was like, yeah, you can pick me up in two and a half hours. So she was, she was 
uh, literally reading like every ingredient in like everything to see what's in it. So, and she was like, okay, I'm, I've looked at pictures uh, at food markets and stuff in Italy and it looks beautiful. And I want to experience like the, the wine, and the, like the culture in Italy. I think that was a big part for it. So like, and uh, there were uh, some botanical gardens she talked about. Uh, yeah, that's probably it. It just sounds that like that would be the most beautiful, the most beautiful experience to travel through Italy with your sister kind of there in spirit being there and, and suffusing every image and every bite of delicious food and every sunset. And uh, my God, that just sounds really, really beautiful. Tell us a little bit, a uh, little bit more about, about her and her interests, like what, 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 what were her passions and her, the things that, captured her imagination um well uh, uh, as a person she was uh, uh she was really warm uh, she was really caring uh and when we had like family dinners like everybody in our family are quite loud so <laughs> my parents are sitting starting to get old and they were like okay yeah we we <laughs> We can't have family dinners because it's so damn loud all the time. <laughs> uh, but uh, Elsa was the one. She was always not not quiet, but she was a little calmer than the rest of us. The rest of us are yeah, quite loud. <laughs> so uh, she she was a little bit more calm, a little bit more down to earth. But I mean, as I said, her father is from up north, where there are. A lot calmer than us down from the south so she she got a mix from from both uh, but i mean one thing that i find really amazing is like a regular person that's going to buy a gift for a kid that don't have any kids yourself they just go to a store and like yeah this looks good let's take that one buy it and then give it away she will browse the internet for the best gift for this specific kid. So, I mean, the gifts I got from her for Ophelia, and I know my sisters feel the same, uh, they were just amazing. I mean, I was like, how did you find this? She's like, yeah, you know, at Pinterest, I Google, I found this and this. And I was like, I don't know how you do it. It's so amazing. So she was, she was really, really caring, and especially about, uh, Ophelia, my daughter, and also my sister's kids. So that was really, really beautiful to see. Wow. And, and you, your daughter is uh, three now? Going to be four? Is that what? I can't no, remember. No, she, she's turning three in August. So Turning, turning three. Yeah. And, and this summer is um, number number two is kind of expected yeah. in July. Is that right? Yeah, that's, that's correct. So it's going to be one hell of a summer. And did you always know? I mean, you're you're 30 yourself now. Yeah. And was that always like a dream that you were going to have kids at a pretty relatively young age? I don't know. Was is 30 like a young age to have two kids? 30 is about right. Man. Yeah. Well, in in Sweden, it's either you get like kids super early or super late. Like my sisters were probably like around 33 or 35 when they got their first one, and now my sister. Well, my closest sister, she's 35 and she got two kids. She just got her second kid uh, this January. 
Uh, but I mean, I'm I was the earliest earliest one in the family. <laughs> so, and my wife is two years younger than me, so she's turning thir- uh, 28 in July. And you said your your wife is um, half American. So you've spent, I mean, you've come to America a bunch of times or not really a bunch? I know you got married in Los Angeles, right? Yeah, we were. We got married uh, just a little bit north of Los Angeles. Uh, her family lives in Santa Clarita. Uh, so we, since we got together, I've been in LA three times and I've been in New York visiting uh, Jimmy, who's my best friend who used to work for Norwegian. Oh, Jimmy's great. Yeah, he's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, so so he was working for Norwegian in uh, New York for six months, and then I went there to visit him, and then I contacted Albert, like, "Hey, I'm in town. You want to catch up?" So yeah, I've been I've been in the states a couple of times before that as well, and also I, when I worked as a chief cook, I was on board container lines going from Gothenburg, which is the biggest port in Sweden, uh, a couple of ports in uh, in Europe, and then over to Canada and the U.S. and then back again. So I've been a couple of times. So what is your what is your uh, specialty as a chef? Like, what do you do better than anybody else in the kitchen? Well, right now, uh, or it's been like that for a couple of years. I really love doing hamburgers. I do like <laughs> everything from scratch, and that's right. probably my specialty. <laughs> really, like what what is scratch from a from a ham for a hamburger? Well, you ground the beef yourself and. I always do uh, smash burgers. So you, you ground the beef into a bowl, then you put the bowl in the in the uh, refrigerator, let it be really cool, and then you take it out. You form it into big balls, like big, really big meatballs, and then you put it on a plate in the refrigerator again. And then you heat up the pan with no oil, no butter, no nothing, just super hot. And then you just slam it in, and then you just press it out. Smash burger. <laughs> it's right. good. I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to give that a whirl. I do not eat much meat, but that you've made me very hungry. Um, <laughs> it's a year after you lost your sister. How do you feel? Your how do you how are you managing the process of of grieving and coming to terms with things? Are you are you looking and and reaching out uh, for resources? Are you just quietly working through it in your own style? Because everybody manages it very. Differently, I, I, I honestly don't think I actually asked for enough help. I think I just sh- soldiered on a little bit, and I think I was suffering more inside. I'm just curious how, how, if you even feel like you understand how you're dealing with your own loss and grieving. Yeah, I know. I, I actually talked about this with Adam yesterday because I've always seen myself as a pretty open and emotional guy, uh, but this. Uh, had made me realize I'm not actually that open and I don't speak about my feelings uh, enough. So uh, actually my wife told me when she passed, she was like, maybe you should go see a therapist or something because uh, back, back when my wife was uh, 16, I think she uh, had a depression. So she's been with the psychologist and therapists and been on medication, but she stopped before I started seeing her. So I was never around at that time, but she told me you should go see some professional. And uh, and I was like, I don't know if I want to or if I'm ready to do it right now. So, uh, but she told me you you need to open up more to me. But I I mean, at my work, everybody knows like everything about it because uh, that's the part 
like my healing process, I really like to talk about it. I told Adam yesterday as well. I mean, you can ask how deep questions you want to ask. I mean, I might, I might burst into tears, but I'm happy to talk about it because uh, it's a part of the healing process. So I try to talk about it as much as possible. So my coworkers know about it. I talk a lot about, a lot about it with my boss uh, and me and Sarah talks about it a lot. And we, I mean, we still talk about Elsa uh, with Ophelia. I mean, we, we trying to like, tell her okay Elsa is not around uh Elsa she's an angel she's in heaven like so she can understand like something but I mean we have a lot of pictures of Elsa in our apartment and if if I put take her up and I ask okay who's this in this picture she's like that's Elsa and some gifts she got from Elsa when she was maybe one and a half years old we're like okay who did you get this one from she's like ah Elsa and I'm like how do you remember that and uh, I mean, also, uh, we've had uh, Elsa come visit us a couple of times in our apartment. And that's also, I mean, some people might think it's bullshit, but I mean, it's, it, it'll ease up the pain for us. I mean, Sarah was doing the dishes in the, in the kitchen and all of a sudden the, the radio switched to a Spanish station. We can't get Spanish station on the radio in Sweden. And she was like, did you switch to a Spanish station? And I was like, no, you can't do it. She's like, well, that's weird because yesterday when I was doing dishes, it started a Spanish radio station. I was like, that must have been Elsa. And like just, uh, I think it was maybe a month after she passed, we have a, a, a floor lamp in our living room. So Sarah was lying in bed so she can see, she, she could see the light in the living room. And it has no dimmer, no nothing. It's just a solid light. It started flickering like really fast. And she was on the phone with her father. And then we have a locker in the kitchen where we have like all the pots and pans. And it's, it was a huge bang. Even her father could hear it through the phone. And he was like, what was that? And it was late in the evening. She was like, maybe it's Ophelia that's awake. So she went out to the kitchen because I was at the gym. And nothing. And she was like, well, it came from this locker. She opened it up. Everything was in order. She was like, that was super weird. And we heard that once later on, uh, a couple months later. So, I mean, she, she's here to visit us. And the same when we came back from our last visit in the States, which was uh, mid-March this year, we, yeah, we had to go home earlier due to Corona. But we, we got back home, luckily. And uh, so when we parked our car in the back of our house, we walked up to our house. Ophelia just, there's Elsa. Elsa is here. Elsa is here. This is Elsa's house. And I was like, what? We, we haven't even talked about Elsa with you for maybe, yeah, like the whole vacation. She's like, this is, Elsa is here. I want to play with Elsa. I want to play with her. And we were like, where, well, where, where is she? She's right here. She's here. So, I mean, for us, that's uh, also part of the healing process, like seeing that as she's taking care of us, she's watching over us, so just uh, comes, comes visit us to see that we're doing fine. So, yeah, I mean, that's probably like the, the, one, the things I do, uh, yeah. I mean, it's just amazing how kids 
just see that and show you so much about your own life and just the blissful ignorance and of just the, the child's beginning mind of, I mean, sometimes exactly what you need to hear at the right moment. So I'm glad Ophelia is keeping it real. Children are just seeing things that we stupidly leave behind as we become more um, experienced in life. You know, children sometimes have the clearest view of life and we are through our own life experience and, and our own hurt, we close things off and we begin to forget simple things like, hey, we're here to love each other, have fun, embrace each other, hug and kiss each other. You just, you know, that simplicity of, of children is, I don't know, yesterday we were talking um, to a conductor that I work with uh, on a chat and he quoted Pablo Picasso saying something to the effect that, you know, it takes a whole, a long life. Um, what was the quote? Something about taking a long life to become a, to really become a child. Uh, and I, I really love that idea that, uh, you know, if you, if you live long enough, you'll start to go back to the place of, of seeing the world. It takes a lifetime to get young is what Picasso said. Um, so Tim, I just want to, uh, you know, it goes without saying that, you know, Adam and I, um, you know, anytime you ever wanted to talk, we're here for you. And all I urge is that people who know you, um, that they also don't wait for you to ask them to talk about things. That was something that really struck me when I lost my brother is that some of my friends years later said, I didn't want to bring it up because I thought maybe if you were having a day where you weren't thinking about it, you didn't want to be reminded. And I thought, no, I, you, you never don't think about it. And there was, it is really special when someone else remembers, Hey, I know you went through something hard. And uh, so I, I encourage people actually to reach out to Tim and say, Hey, Tim, how you doing? You know, and I, I that, that's the role that we could all play in each other's lives is paying close enough attention to know that we all need to say, Hey, how are you doing? You know, so anyway, and really mean it too. Like, yeah, right. definitely. Um, I, um, I don't know, Adam, it's, it's a, an hour now of, we could continue to talk, obviously, and obviously, Tim, we could have you uh, back on any time. But any, any, anything that you talked about with Tim yesterday that I missed because I'm, I don't like to miss stuff. Yeah, um, you know, I, I think this is a, a great way to to close this here. I do have one thing I, I kind of want to read um, for everyone, and it's, um, if you haven't heard it or read it, I definitely recommend it. It's called Man's Search for Meaning. It's by Viktor Frankl. And I have um, read that book. It's amazing. Yes, it's it's something that has changed my life. And there's one passage in it that I think is just spot on for our entire conversation. And it goes by the heading of the meaning of suffering. We must never forget that we may also find meaning in life, even when confronted with a hopeless situation, when facing a fate that cannot be changed. For what then matters is to bear witness to the uniquely human potential at its best which is to transform a personal tra tragedy into a triumph, to turn one's predicament into human achievement. When we are no longer able to change a situation, just think of incurable disease such as inoperable cancer. We are challenged to change ourselves. Now, yeah, that, that's Victor obviously did not know your sister, but you know, a very long time ago wrote, about exactly what you're feeling. So this is not a unique situation. 
everyone goes through loss and everyone has extremely difficult situations that they have to go through. But the true meaning and the true search is finding what's good in that situation, having a positive outcome from even the hardest situations. So I just want to say that by sharing your story, you're, you're letting people know that you've come a long way and you be a man and be there for your family and you are staying strong for the hope and just love of your family and the help of everyone else going through a tough time. So thank you for turning your story into a triumph by telling it to our audience. And I, yeah. I'd like to add, I'd like to add to that that I'm extremely close with my sister, um, Suzanne. We both, you know, bonded obviously very very strongly, um, losing a brother together, and um, all of our memories uh, are so tied in to to our growing up together. And I just want to say that the relationship, the special relationship between a brother and a sister. Um, having, having one in my life, I can really relate to you having had one in your life and it is a great, great blessing. And any of you guys out there who have a sister that maybe you've not paid enough attention to pick up the phone now, uh, vice versa. If you're a sister and you've not called your brother, pick up the phone now and this time, always time to strike up, you know, a new relationship. If, if that means, forgiving, a little bit of forgiving for something that's kept you apart in the past, or just recommitting. Sometimes it's as simple as recommitting. Um, anyway, Tim, you're a great dude. We love you. We're having you back. Um, anyway. I would love thank, to. Thank you. It was a very powerful story and a beautiful story. And I'm going to get choked up if I keep talking. Thank you so much, Albert. And just uh, to mention what you said, like, some of you, some of your friends didn't want to talk about your brother because you probably maybe didn't think about him that day. I mean, you think about him all the time and you want to talk about him because you don't want to forget them. I mean, they're, they will always be on your mind. And at least I really like to talk about my sister because she was a wonderful person. So, I mean, you shouldn't be afraid to ask. And if I don't feel like talking about it, then I'll just, this is not the day. But I mean, I'm not the guy. I like to talk about it like all the time, every day. I mean, if you want to know something, you want to ask something, just go ahead, ask, ask away. Yeah. Well, that could be the, the, the motto of the show. Just ask away. Ask away. <laughs> and Thank you, Tim. We have one last ask of you, and uh, that is to pronounce the name of the show. <laughs> Put you on the spot. You got to do it. <laughs> No, I can't. I can't breathe that. that. That's a tongue twister. <laughs> you can always say it in Swedish and nobody know, will know if you said it right. There you go. Well, I can go with the triple V. That's easier. Hey. <laughs> well, there you go. Oh, we, you guys are killing me. Yeah. Good way to edit there. So thank you again. And this has been another episode of the Veer, Vulnerabilis Veer podcast. I'm Adam Glinsky. I'm Albert Imperato. And I'm Tim Tilgren. Thank you for listening.